yo She's a shadow walker, moon stalker, black author Librarian, contrarian, the state say we did, we say we not That's my bitch, I believe my sister There are no winners, we smoking positivity like dust Trust, angels never fucked with us Shadow box the sundown till sundown Lynchtown, burning in the rear view While I'm driving with a clear view Is a socialism sister Am I supposed to feel this different like my rent's paid? The devil's dead all right, we are back, and this week we are bro to Suji. Um, and I did, I showed up last week, I got on my flight, and I came to the building to record the podcast last week, and I was told by management that Quentin told me that I wasn't allowed to come to the podcast and record, told them to tell me, and then I had to leave um, after making it all the way there. So Quentin, what's going on, man? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't. I'm, I'm. I'm not sure what the news is with this one. So, I'm, am I? Am I Britt Baker or something? Like, what's going on? <laughs> CM Punk. You did not hear this. This is a. Oh, oh okay. Now, now, now that you said CM Punk. Now, okay. Now I know. Okay. All right. Now you sense. get it. Now you get it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, am I Britt Baker in this scenario? What's going on? <laughs> no, no, no. Britt would never. She would never do something like no, that. No, of course, of course not. <laughs> no, she's a. Everyone knows she's a good, a good guy. Just like uh <laughs> Fucking the I just Adam Cole like uh, I don't even know I'm already like off on a tangent. See before we started, he said I don't even know what we're doing here. We're just talking, right? Like the the last the however many few years that like NXT Adam Cole and especially Twitch Adam Cole the Chugs has become like this like wholesome character. You know what I, you know what I mean? There's like yeah. the fans that are like wholesome Adam Cole like. Do they remember the Panama City Playboy suck my dick? You know, like that Adam Cole. No one remembers that Adam Cole. Like now they're like, oh no, the real Adam Cole. He's a good guy. And like, number one, no, no wrestlers are good guys. Just keep that in mind. Uh, and number two, like Adam Cole is definitely not, uh, you know, wholesome good guy. Oh, he just went like that's. Why do people want that? Why do people want the wrestlers to be like that? I don't. I don't really know because it's like. Now Adam Cole, if that's what we're like, like just watching him on TV now, which I do think that the MJF thing, my prediction is it probably winds up with the Adam Cole turning on MJF type of thing. But still, like, I don't really under like get the appeal of babyface Adam Cole like this. It just doesn't really appeal to me. So yeah, yeah I yeah I, I'm I'm lost on it. I guess they like watching his streams where they want to cheer for him on TV, but I don't I don't know like. It doesn't really appeal to me to watch Babyface Adam Cole. I mean, I don't like. I don't. It's not even that part that I don't get. It's like the like the real guy thing. It's the like, yeah. It's the like the real. Oh yeah, the real guy Adam Cole is a good guy, and him and Britt are just probably you know so sweet, and they would watch my dog or whatever. Like, no man. Like these people are not your friends. They're they're professional liars, you know, and they're they're probably jerks. Um. The MJF Adam Cole thing, you know what comparison, like, I wish I could give credit to who I heard say this, but I heard someone make this comparison and like, it was perfect. And I couldn't kind of couldn't believe it didn't cross my mind. I guess the reason why it didn't is because my brain is not WWE centric, but uh, Rock and Sock Connection. And I had not thought about it, but it's like, it's exactly perfect thing. And like, MJF is the Mick Foley and Adam Cole is the Rock. And the turn makes perfect sense where the lovable loser guy that the fans are now into who has the, you know, tortured past of being a freak that, you know, didn't have any friends gets turned on by the all time pretty boy. Who's the heel. You know what I mean? And I was just like, Oh yeah, like that actually is it. And even down to the fact that like the team has gotten over so much that it almost doesn't make sense to break them up and that it would make more sense to continue them at least being friendly similarly to what they did with the rock and suck connection where they would come back and like have matches. Didn't they have that? They had like a two on three match against like the NWO or something eventually like years down the line, like uh, uh, it became this outside thing. Yeah, you're, 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 you're like same ballpark. You're thinking of evolution. Uh, ah, yes, that was it. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, but uh, yeah, that comparison, like I said, I wish I could remember who made it. Cause it's like, it's spot on. No, it, it, it like I ha- honestly hadn't even thought about it, but like that makes like complete sense. That makes, that makes complete sense. 
And that's why it almost like, yeah, now you see that that's like an MJF thing. Because a lot of the stuff he does is clearly aping old stuff. Like, that's what he was doing here, too. Um, and so, oh, geez, okay, well, that makes sense. Um, I guess, speaking of all that, so we should <laughs> could talk about this off the air, but might as well talk about it now. Uh, they're having two matches on the next pay-per-view, all in, all in two, in Wembley Stadium. That's coming up in, you know, a little over a week. Um and where are you at, not just on the show, but like on us reviewing it? Because I've been kind of talking about it, teasing it, mentioning it. Like, I don't know how much I care to really continue on the path that we've been where it feels like we have to review every big AEW show. And this one just, I don't know, the build is not great. I don't know what kind of matches we're going to get. I know it's, you know, it's in England and it's going to be in front of a big crowd and all that. But I don't know how much I really care, not only to watch it, but to review it. I mean, look, uh, there is nothing that can be done to make me interested in watching a Will Ospreay versus Jericho match. Um, I want to believe that Adam Cole and MJF could be good, but like, I have like no faith in that. So, no, I'm with you on like this show in general, where there's just really nothing for me, like, or anything that I'm like super pressed to want to come on here and talk about in review as opposed to like other ones where yeah i don't want to be the show that comes on here and like feels the need to review all of these shows i mean all these big AEW shows but there's like usually something i'm interested in and this time around there's really not i mean the like now i'm looking at it, it's like darby and sting versus swerve and ar fox in the coffin match is that's pretty cool like that's, that's all right. The six the six man the six man tag bullet club gold and um Takeshita versus Golden Elite, like it's good, but like I'm not like super enthused about it as well. Like I feel the need to like review the show. Stadium Stampede should be fun, but like I'm not like like super enthused about it. So if we didn't review the show, I'd be perfectly fine with that. We can come on yeah, here and talk just... about we, we we can come on here and fucking talk about uh I don't know, talk about Stardom Grand Prix or some shit. I'm perfectly fine with that. The thing is, is I'm looking at it and it's like, okay, we've got the action show that just happened, which I think just went up on IWTV. It's got like Adam Priest versus Billy Starks and other matches that I you know, want to see, but that's the one that off the top of my head I think of. Um, DPW show that just happened and like w- whenever that comes out, right? Um, West Coast Cup that they put free on YouTube. There's like, there's stuff there that's probably worth checking out uh, on top of, as you said, five-star Grand Prix, uh, you know, I've tweeted something, but Mio Momono and just how fucking crazy the run she's on right now, this stuff that deserves attention. Um, and DDT, I mean, Chris Brooks, they're doing the uh, Saki Akai retirement tour. That's like drawing numbers for them, which is kind of interesting um, to think about like what kind of draw she really could have been for them more like crazy thought that had crossed my mind, which is just like, why did it's DDT? Why didn't they ever try actually pushing her as a main event star? Like, you know, I mean, there's no reason why they couldn't have. Um, And now that she's proving that like in her retirement run, she can draw like, uh, like what the fuck? Um, And there's all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, like, do we need to be chained to this idea that we just review every big AEW show? And I'm kind of like, no, like, We've been doing that, and I just don't think... I'm not saying we'll never review another one, but I'm just saying, like, this is probably one to skip and also to set the precedent that, like, we're not going to review every AEW pay-per-view anymore. Like, it's just not, you know, it's just not our thing. It's not It's not part of what this show is, and it really was never supposed to be like that. So that was kind of what I was just thinking. Um, you mentioned it, but the Golden Elite, I kind of find that interesting as a team just because you have... Kenny with his two former tag team partners who have never partnered with each other um, and that he's had kind of weird relationships with both of them off and on having them together and going up against a bullet club team is kind of a very interesting match on paper for that, for that part of it. But it also is like how much of that is really going to be part of what we see here and how much of this is just going to be, you know, uh, just showing stuff off kind of match and not really about telling a bunch of stories. Maybe. I'm thinking like a bunch of like I'm thinking it's gonna be really good. There's just not gonna be like a ton there in terms of like what you talked about with the story between Omega and his two different tag partners. 
if anything, this is just, you know, more building blocks for Omega for Omega Omega and Takeshita, I'm guessing. So like yeah. that's the main thing here. So no, like all 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 in is whatever. Like there's gonna be some good stuff on there that I like. It's just it exists. It's done nothing to really reel me in. MJF and Cole, like the segments are entertaining, just not really my thing. I'm not gonna sit here and act like it's not popular because it very, very clearly much is. So like yeah. what I say there kind of doesn't matter, but it doesn't make me interested in the match. And you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the like, like what is the story that they eventually go with after this? Like, is this gonna be a cold turn thing, which I think probably should be the move? Or are you just gonna be, oh yeah, MJF is such a dastardly guy. He just reminded us all who he really is. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that's where the intrigue may lie on who's gonna turn on who if some, if one turns on the other, but. As far as the match itself and everything, it's just not super into it. I'm not super into uh actually no. I, I like I like the idea of Roddy in this role because he's good at it. Like he's good at being like a little like whiny asshole type. So right. I like I like watching Roddy come out with his neck brace mm-hmm. and why and being whiny. So that's cool. But other than that, I'm not really into this. Yeah. Um with that, it was funny because I did have my my fantasy booking brain kicked in a bit thinking about it just because of the kingdom thing, the tease with the kingdom and Ronnie. And then obviously it makes tons of sense to have Adam Cole really just join back up with the kingdom plus Roddy, you know, because Adam Cole was the original leader of the kingdom and all that. Um, but uh, then I was thinking like, well, if you're going to bring back, you know, old ROH stables, and have Roddy, you know, that connection to the past, like with Roddy, right. I was thinking like the decade, right? And I was mm. like, oh man, like what if you brought back? <laughs> then I was thinking like, okay, who could you even bring back from the decade? I think Jimmy Jacobs' work is like, was working or tried out at AEW at some point recently, All if he's not still with Impact. So, okay, BJ Whitmer literally just got fired. So <laughs> that's probably not happening. Yeah. Um, really, I was just like, my only my only real reason for this is just selfishly, I was like, having, if you did some kind of double swerve where everyone thinks it's the kingdom and Adam Cole joining up, but really it's the decade and it's just Roddy and Colby Carino and they beat the shit out of the rest of them. I was just like, that's, that's really the only reason why I want to do it, you know? But uh, mm-hmm. you got Adam Page there, and but I don't think he's uh he's gonna be switching over to the decade anytime soon. Um on like a match front, right? Like I'm just catching up on stuff that we hadn't talked about in the last few weeks. Have you felt about FTR's stuff on collision? Not really, but I did want to talk to you specifically about that match because you're the number one FTR Young Bucks apologist, right? You're the you're the they're the person who always uh, said that their first match was better than people gave it credit for. Um, but in general, I guess yeah, you want to talk about the the colliders. How do you feel about the and and you know I'm stealing this from the internet, but the the cum farters run. How are you feeling about that? Um, I liked it, but I can understand why people could look at it and feel like it's just kind of like self indulgent. You know, with FTR going out there and fucking back-to-back weeks and having a 30-minute match and then a near like then an out then an hour-long match the week after. And then even that even then on the collision that just happened last week, the trios match the trios match with, with them and Punk going to go going nearly 32. So yeah. Um I definitely yeah, you know, <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but on that note, I just wanted to mention because <laughs> I hear people, and I can, I'll just say who Mike Spears refer to Timothy Thatcher as the most self indulgent wrestler in the world. But I mean, FTR and CM Punk, they're I think they're giving him a run for the money. If you truly believe that, like these two are that that group, those three are fucking out of control. Yeah, no, it's it's been it's been a, it's been a lot in. I'm not even saying that in a negative way because, like, I've liked all of these matches, but at the same time, like, Christian and Ricky Starks versus Punk and Darby went 25 minutes. Like, it's it's, it's a lot going on there, and I get I, and I get it on some level. I'm not even mad at it, right? Because this is CM Punk and FTR show. Like, this is their show for the most part. So, like, I'm not even really mad at that. If you're gonna give Ricky Starks Ricky Starks some 
some room to go out there and have long like long matches and see how he does in those waters. I'm I'm okay with that. But I definitely can see why some people would be a little turned off by FTR and Bullet Club Gold going nearly an hour. Even though I thought the match was really good, I love Jay and I love Juice, and I think that they've been really good in AEW so far. So I thought it was great. I really liked that match. I'm not sure in terms of like uh, ranking it on a list or some shit where I would have it if I even have it at all. Have it at all, but I really liked that match. But I was just wondering. Well, I get, you know how disconnected I am from like wrestling Twitter and shit at that sure. at this point. So like, has the how how was the run that they've been on? FTR and I guess Punk too. I think Punk is probably more positive, but like, what's the reception been uh, like to this stuff? No, I mean that it's crazy because yeah, like you're very checked out if you don't you don't know. Like this is this is the main topic of wrestling Twitter as far as like you know non WWE division at all okay. times, and it's basically like CM Punk is trying to create a brand split. Like the real thing is like you can just clearly tell not only is CM Punk trying to bring like a more WWE vibe to the show. Like you can watch collision and just be like, this is, you know, trying to be Saturday night's main event. And like, there's no argument that that's like a W you know, you could say classic, but it's more like a WWE style. Cause it's also got shades of like, you know, punk era raw and SmackDown, like starting out the shows with 20 minute promos that are setting up the stories for the entire rest of the show. That was not a staple of an AEW show. Right. Um, so like the main conversation is like punk, not only doing that on the shows, but also like he's intentionally kind of branding the colliders. I don't know if you've heard this, but you know, fans of collision are colliders according to punk. Um, there's nobody doing that on the other side. That's pushing like the dynamite. What are the dynamite fans, you know, elitists, I guess, or whatever. But like, you know, he's really trying to make that a thing. So so what you've got in the ether, the conversation is like people who are unrealistic and they're just punk stands and all they do is defend him. And they say that everybody who has anything negative to say about punk is a, uh, you know, has punk derangement syndrome. And then there's honestly the realistic people who are on the other side who are not even saying that he's bad, but just being like, he's disappointing. He's not his match, his wrestling, his matches are fine, but his wrestling isn't as good as it was before he left. Like his first run in AEW, he was delivering a lot higher caliber in ring. Um, his promos are fine. It, you know, very good to mixed. It's kind of tough because it's, it's colored a little bit by like a post-show promo that was not on TV. That was like really bad where he was sloppy and he said a lot of things that he shouldn't have said on top of just like not hitting his points and his jokes. Right. But like, should you judge, should I judge him for that? Right. Because that was not on TV. That was not presented to the fans at home, but it leaked on social media and stuff like, eh, I don't know. So that's really the, like a big topic of the conversation. And like, it's like, yeah, like I think being, you know, and it's, it's, hedging or not hedging but like placing so much of like the importance of of what what is your measurement what is your goal for like success to being like too out of reach like not drawing as well as he talks about that he's going to draw not uh you know pulling in the ratings that he talks about pulling in the ratings you know not being one bill fill being you know half a mil fill like really like repeatedly and it's like yeah like those that lofty goal was unrealistic and like it just feels so wrong. It feels, you know, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm betrayed by fucking Phil Brooks, you know, CM Punk or whatever. But like, I don't know the CM Punk, but we talked about this even when he was in WWE, like, or at least I did like the CM Punk that I fell in love with is just, he's a totally different guy. And the CM Punk that I originally loved, like through ROH, PWG, uh, IWA, Mid-South, stuff like that, like, was not the kind of guy who's going to fucking brag about how many ratings he pulls and how well his dolls sell. And you know what I mean? Like, that's not the CM Punk that I like. That's not my CM Punk. And like this CM Punk is a different guy who's too busy to me. feels like he's just way too busy talking about business metrics and like my ratings and stuff. And then he's not delivering at the level that he thinks he's going to. And you could say, okay, that's all bravado and it's part of the character and he's working you by saying these things and then failing because he's a heel or whatever. But it's just, to me, it's just slightly obnoxious. So I don't know if I necessarily answered your question, but yeah, like the conversation is 
Punk is the greatest. The sun shines out of his ass. Anyone who has anything bad to say about him is a psychopath with punk derangement syndrome versus people who are like, punk is fine. If not, you know, a bit of an asshole, which we've all known for how how long that punk's an asshole. And uh, he's, you know, not as good as he was even during his first run in AEW at this point when it comes to in-ring. You know, I, I, def- I definitely get why there's a lot of, like, conflicting emotions on there with Punk. It's like they're always, especially for you, because you feel like they're just eh, a little bit of disappointment there. So I, I get it. I feel like maybe because I'm not so involved with that, like, social with the social media aspect of stuff anymore, that, like, I'm just kind of dropping in and watching the matches and thinking they're mostly pretty good. That Oh, yeah. That, like, I'm the, I'm not really having, like, too much to say about it but like if you're still kind of like paying attention to all like the weekly drama and leaks and shit that are coming out at some point still like it's just it just it was it was old last year and like it's just like like, so it's like a whole year later like it's still happening and still more leaks and still more stuff like that like it just it clouds everything and even down to the rating stuff of like you know they're working these two different fucking shows and it's like you know the real thing that people want to see is something that like at least for the foreseeable future like we're not gonna get like we know what the actual stuff people want to see is but we aren't in a place as to where we can get there so it's trying to figure out the ways to make the best use of the roster so punk and FTR can have interesting stuff to do and then you have interesting stuff to do with the elite side of things and it's like we know what would actually like bring ratings and do numbers, but we're not we're not at a point where we can do that. So I, I mean I it's want... not the time to do it either. Sorry, sorry, finish up what you were saying. No. Oh, okay. So it's not even the time to do it. I mean, you could argue that they're being strategic because you're about to hit college uh football season and like Saturday is just going to get demolished constantly. So you do really it's not a good time to to even set up if you were started doing that stuff because like even if you did great numbers, you know, for collision or whatever, like you're just not going to really see a lot of growth on Saturday. It's just not going to happen. Like no matter how good it is, I don't think you're going to get a ton of people to turn off college football to pay attention to, you know, wrestling. Like, so it's like, if they, if they do get there and I don't know how out of the question it really is. And I do, I still stick to my theory that like, now that the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and and Hangman Page are all basically, um, hang. Did I say that weird Hangman Page? Like Hangman, he's the Hangman. Uh, anyways, um, like now that they're all signed, like I think that this stuff is going to dissipate because I just really do think that a big part of like them holding out and holding this grudge and doing all of this was was also about uh, leverage for for negotiations for the contracts. But now they're they're locked in you know, for five years, probably at good money. I don't think that, I think they're going to be more open to doing business. Um, that said, I think that Punk and FTR, like twisting the knife and pulling all this bullshit that they do constantly is not going to help things because you get to a point where it's like, well, why, you know, I'm okay, but why should I even care about this if this guy's not going to shut the fuck up, which is just obnoxious. I don't, <laughs> I really don't know what the deal is. Like, it's, you know, what's, the funniest thing, and I, you know, I think about this and I, I mentioned it maybe here and there, but to me, the thing that really always sticks in my mind is just the way that Punk has become Raven in the way that Punk talked about Raven on the shoot interviews. Like, I don't know if you remember the old ROH yeah. shoot interviews, but the way that Punk talked about Raven, like, and being obnoxious and the grizzled old vet who's, you know, lazy and annoying, but, you know, whatever, and show respect and deal with it. But, Punk has just become that. Like he just is that guy now, and it's so funny to ha- to actually watch that happen to someone, you know. Yeah, it's a thing that like happens in wrestling, but like for me, like I watch it like happen a lot in basketball, where like I'll watch someone who like j- might have just finished playing basketball, it's like at the end of their career, and I watch this person like from the whole time from like when I was a kid up until this point. And then now suddenly they're just like the most annoying person to hear talk about basketball. Like at all times, it's like, oh man, like this is weird. Like I remember when people didn't like you and now you're just the same quote, like grizzled, obnoxious, 
veteran person that just has nothing positive or constructive to say at all. So like it this is it's a frequent thing in wrestling. Like we can go back years and get videos of like I forget who the fuck was it. If it was like uh, Freddie Blassie or what were Buddy Rogers or like someone like that from that era talking about fucking like Flair and Steamboat and shit like that, yeah. and not liking them. So like this just happens all the time. But it's it is a weird thing, a strange thing to like watch it happen with CM Punk. But at the same time, it's like we know what type of wrestling and and wrestlers he gravitated to during the course of his life. Like it. It's not the most shocking thing, but it's like, damn, like it's still kind of like rough to like watch a little bit. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, um oh, well, I was I was gonna say like before we got into like G one stuff or whatever else because I don't know if you had anything anything else AEW related. I did watch. One go ahead. Quick thing that I just I I think I you know I I try to stop myself from doing this, but I mentioned this on Twitter and tweeted it out, whatever. Like uh. They're doing the AR Fox Swerve Strickland team, which feels like clearly a reference to the Lucha Underground, um, you know, yeah, team that sure. they had in the past. And then they're doing Darby versus Sting or Darby and Sting with them in a coffin match. And I just, I, I it couldn't have been po- impossible or illegal for them to not call this a grave consequences match, right? Like if you're going to do the Lucha Underground reference, why wouldn't you have done that? Um, especially because coffin match is so like linked to WWF, but that was the only thing. I was just like, hey, if you're gonna do this, why not? You know, do the grave consequences thing. But whatever. That's 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 a good that's a good point. I would say <laughs> Darby has a move called the coffin drop. So even though like like Fair. like like I think so. This this is, this is such a dumb discussion. Like I think in WWE, I. I think more of a casket match than a coffin match. That's fair. That's fair. Like, You're right. You're right. Yeah, I, I think I think of more of the word casket. Yeah, that's a good point. You got me there. But either way, uh, what was it that you wanted to mention before we hit G1? Um, I was gonna say I did watch Mio Momono versus uh, uh, Mayu Miyazaki. Oh yeah. Okay, that was. I mean. Uh, what do you even say? Like a tour de force from Momono, really? I mean, and just yeah. Either, but yeah. yeah give, your, I guess, give your thoughts. No, yeah. Um, Mio Momono, we've you've heard us talk about her a couple for a couple of years. You've heard Joseph talk about her, and like other people that are part of our like circle talk about her. But like, there is not enough positive shit to say about her because she is just so great and has like an actual case for being the best baby face in wrestling and like this is before even getting to just bleed all over the place versus versus Mayu Miyazaki she's just that good every time every time you see her and I love this and I think it's like in terms of a singles match probably like a career performance for her in terms of like just a performance and Mayu Miyazaki like she was someone that was on my GWE list 2016 I adore the fuck out of her. I understand that there are people that from that era of uh, women's wrestling in Japan who are more accomplished, who got to do more, had bigger matches and shit like that. And like, they deserve the praise and accolades they get. But Mayumi Ozaki was just so constantly good in everything that she did from that time, from that time period up until now, even as she's gotten older and become more of like a fucking like, Plund, like like plunder brawl like uh type type figure with cha- with chains and chair shots and being a constant heel and matches and matches with blood and shit like that like she's she's never stopped being entertaining she could, can't move quite the same way that she used to but that's natural that comes with age and the thing about her that's always been the most present thing about her that real people in with just her personality and charisma like he just fucking jumps off the screen in a way that like personality wise like not many other women in japan during her time like did i can think of like the big heel figures like a like a like a like a bull like a bull nakano or a devil masami or dump masamoto who jumped off the screen but like after that like it's mayumi ozaki in my opinion i think that she is like that good of a heel like that impressive like Whenever we, whenever you see her, so 
to see her like fucking 20 plus years later still having matches of this quality and she doesn't do this all the time it's bi-yearly maybe yearly at best where she has like a match of this good that captures people's attention in 2016 it was like for her versus like a Risa Nakajima or some shit so she doesn't get to do this all the time but when she does she fucking knocks out of the park and I really 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 love this match some people won't like it as much as we do because they're just gonna think it's sort of a basic plunder like like plunder brawl thing going on I can sort of understand that but Mio is one of the best baby faces in the world. Mayumi Ozaki is just still really great. So I I love this. I really love that match a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think a couple of weeks ago I, I talked about uh, C Hash versus Natsupoi and how how I thought that that was like a a better like kind of version of like the the C Hash and Momono kind of rivalry that had been going on at the time and and just talking about like you know natsupoi like oh that's you know you you were there um but uh this really showed like why momono is just so phenomenal and like i'm not even like when i said that i was not like trying to you know downplay her or anything but i, I feel like maybe it came across that way but yeah this was i mean the selling the fire the the bumping around for the old veteran as you talk not old veteran but you know what i mean like bumping around for someone who's not as immobile and and to talk about it as a plunder match, I just feel it's so cheap because I think that, again, it's that thing I, I fucking hate where people just like they check things off on a list and that's the way they judge things and they don't really look at it because it's like, to me, I'm just like, this is not a, a plunder match because the whole point of like a plunder match to me is like, it's like a video game. It's like, you know, it's like the WWE, you know, Warzone fucking whatever, where like you grab a weapon from underneath the ring, you use it a couple times and then it disappears. Like, you know, it's still there. It's still sitting around, but you never touch it again. And then you just move on to the next thing and then you grab a different one. And they still do this in WWE to this day. And it's like, oh, once the kendo stick comes out, then, you know, whatever. Like, and then the, t- the crowd's going to camp for tables, whatever. Like, no, they had like a chain and a chair and they beat the fucking piss out of each other. And that's not a plunder match because they never lost focus of the gimmick. They, it's just a wrestling match that has a couple gimmicks, but they don't just like grab things and use them a bit and then they disappear like the chain was a major part of the match. It was not just an afterthought that was there just to like add a little bit of heat. It's just a gimmick. Like, no, like it's, it's a big part of the storytelling. And I just thought like that absolutely fucking like ruled. It was fucking phenomenal. And yeah, this was just, this was great. This will be on the match of the year lists for anybody who has any taste and uh, in the time to, to check it out. So yeah, like this was fantastic, fantastic match. Um, so yeah, I'm happy that you uh took the time to bring that up. Um, have you watched anything on the N1? I have not. There's so like this. This is <laughs> summer, especially like the late late July, August is always like fun, but it's just so much fucking wrestling, yeah, like happening all at one time, and it's just really really hard to keep up with. But I would like to hear about this. <laughs> Okay, this N1 is fucking fantastic. Like, it feels like it's being set up just to, like, make me give up on everything and just become a full-blown Noah pervert because it's, like, so much my shit over and over again with so many guys that I love. Um, The outsiders that they're bringing in are great. Um, You know, Elio, the Dr. Wagner Jr. is, like becoming like a revelation like i know i've been watching his stuff in noah for a bit and he's like really really looking good with the national title run he's been like you know building and building but really this is like a major coming out party for him as like an actual like someone to keep your eye on um obviously thatcher go is like in in go form which is like pretty impressive having like really really good match with sex and huxley for the, like makes me think for a second like yeah you know but then i'm like no 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 i never liked sex and i like you know i have memories of him in the uk scene before anyone like knew who he was or whatever and like yeah he was you know fine at it but maybe no 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 go is just the fucking man he's making him look great brooks is actually delivering decently um masa kiyomiya is looking great yuki yoshioka is having like a a really great showings as like an outsider in here. Um, And then obviously Thatcher, like what do I need to say about Thatcher at this point? We've talked about him 
nonstop for <laughs> 10 years or whatever at this point. Like, he's a constant uh, conversation. Manabu Soya, like, dude, and that's not even mentioning, like, Nakajima. And then the biggest revelation for me, not really, is but, like, a revelation for me is as much as I don't like it and as much as really it doesn't matter, Jake Lee just looks like a Noah guy. Like when you just look at pictures of Jake Lee on the posters and you see him, you know, go, it's like, yeah, like this is a seamless transition for Jake Lee. Like, and when it was first got announced, I kind of was like, well, this is fucking stupid. What's the point? I talked about it with you. Like, with um with Kento showing up and overshadowing him in the new company, like you ran away from fucking all Japan to come to Noah and then and then Kento it just shows up there to fucking big league you again. But like Jake Lee is absolutely like a 2023 Noah guy. You know, like there's just there's no getting around it. Um but yeah, so this N1 has been just fucking solid. Like I'm kind of maybe overhyping it and making it sound like, oh, you're getting, you're not going to, you're not getting a ton of like match of the year level stuff, but just incredibly solid. And to me kind of blows pretty much any other tournaments that have gone on this year out of the water. Like, I mean, there's nothing else that's like as solid up and down the entire tournament as this, even with like King of Gate being as good as it was this year. Um, I guess that was a, I don't know, a single elimination tournament, whatever, but yeah, this N1 is just, you just want to like basically just sink your teeth in and just watch it all. Like that's the only thing I can recommend is just like get in, watch it. It's it's really fucking good. I'm gonna have to go, I'm gonna have to go and check some of that stuff out. I'm like, so I gotta watch that, watch some more starting Grand Prix. But what I did see, I did see a good amount of G1. And um Yeah, so so take me through this because I watched like the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and some stuff. Like I, I picked out some stuff through the block play, but I didn't watch all of it. So tell me what's uh, what's what for this. Um, well, like like you, the usual people that you would expect to be like good in G one were once again good in G one. So if you're looking for like Zack Saber Junior. and Ishi and Osprey and those sort of guys like Shingo, they went and did what you expected them to do. So like it really comes down to some of the like newer people, newer names and like seeing how they were in the field and like who impressed and who did what. And for me straight up, like Gabriel kid was really, really good in the tournament from what I saw from the stuff, from the stuff that I watched, like if I'm not going into like the super big, main event quality shit gabriel kid versus kaito kiyomiya like is one of my favorite matches from the tournament and i'm not sure if you watched it but they just beat the complete shit out of each other and eventually like kaito you know kaito being a noah guy he eventually gets like the new japan audience to start kind of like flipping on him you know even though gabe gabe kid's a heel so they start cheering for gabe kid as kaito kind of like turns up a bit and gets more aggressive and berating the audience and it gets real testy and feisty outside and they're go and they go to a count out they go to a double count out finish because they're fucking brawling in the crowd and shit and had to get separated and it feels like this really big moment for Gabriel Kid but then he just comes back into the ring and flips the crowd off and flips them off again before he leaves even though they were just cheering for him and it's like not the biggest thing in the world but it's like oh man like that shit was just like really great so i think gabriel kid definitely had a uh had a very had a very solid tournament um yoda suji is definitely very clearly to me like the guy and uh, uh from his group in terms of like charisma or whatever or like actual star power like as i'm watching him i really thought that he should that he showed up in the times in which he like should have him and showed him and shota was very good and out of Narita, Shota, and, uh, and Yoda Suji, I feel like Yoda Suji is the guy that I'd be like hitching my wagon to. But it's a it's a good it's a good tournament. Like the stuff that you expect to be good is good. And then if you want to like go find some sleeper stuff, uh, you, there's more than enough of it to find. Um, did you watch the Zack Saber Junior. and Jeff Cobb match? I did. I did. And this was yeah, this was one of the better outings for them comparatively. 
Yeah, I thought um, yeah they had like a really good match this time around. And like I know how much I know how much we both love like the Summer Sizzler match from like however long ago and shit like that. And they've had a couple of different encounters since then that didn't really like li- like live up to that same level they reached before. But they had a really really good match in SG one. Um, so it's no secret that like when I come on here, um, the last couple of years. Like wrestling just had a lot of shit go on that like drained my like energy to watch wrestling the way that I did in years past. And then like I just had opportunities to go do other things and make money covering other things. And like the way that I covered wrestling just or consume wrestling rather just like wasn't the same as it used to be. Um and Sometimes I'll have a match that like I feel like will reel me back in and something that excites me, but then like it doesn't last, and I'm right back to just kind of like being like checked out on the whole thing. And I watched Osprey and Naito um a couple days ago. Yesterday, yesterday rather, actually. And for the first time in a while in a, in a while, because like I watched the stuff from this year from Wrestle Kingdom and liked it and enjoyed it and all that stuff but like watching osprey and naito was it made me like from like oh man i miss wrestling and i come on here and i talk about wrestling every week but like it's just not the same as it used to be but I watched osprey and naito and i just fucking like was so in love with like what i watched and everything they did and the pace and how they beat the shit out of each other and fucking Naito dropped Osprey on his head three different times and in less than a minute and some of these fucking reversals like these DDT that DDT out of the powerbomb reversal that he that that he that he did to Osprey and Osprey taking the Rana um out of the storm out of the stormbreaker reversal and everything that we got there I love this fucking match and it's a match that I always in my head, like when Naito and Osprey see each other, they're gonna have a really good match. Like for a reason, these two just hadn't really seen each other during Osprey's time in New Japan. Like that's one of those things where they very clearly just were kind of keeping them away for whatever their reasons were. And it's as good as I would ever hope of it being. And like I love this match, and I'm not gonna sit there and oversell it like it's the fucking best thing in the world or whatever like that. I'm not even sure it's my match of the year, but it's something that like I really needed to kind of invigorate me or reinvigorate me when it came to wrestling because like it has changed for me. My love of it like has changed in the last few years, and sometimes I'll have a match that kind of like reels me back in and makes me like really missed the way that I used to watch wrestling and Osprey and night. So was that for me? So like really good tournament in terms of like, just kind of like going and skipping through and grabbing stuff. The final is great too. It's Okada and Naito when Okada is a dick and you get a crowd fully behind Naito when it's great. Once again, like those two usually are with each other, but watching Osprey and Naito was like one of those moments that like really made me miss the way that I used to cover wrestling. So uh, I know that you watched it, so I'm curious to hear what you thought about Osprey and Naito. But yeah, like I, I yeah. really, really appreciated that match. Yeah, I have to agree with you big time there. And I think like one of the things to uh, to talk about because people, I think, yeah, there's a mix of like vibes on this. But I think the most telling, like G1 is back and J- New Japan is back to like kind of, if not quite to the peak, like close enough, is like. Having a G1 semifinal with a foreigner in it that is better than the final is like a, a telltale sign of like, we're almost there, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like the Naito, Osprey, and with the, the ending of the match stuff and the knockout and all of that, there's definitely something to all of that. There's also something to like Naito really bringing it back and just like, not just this match, but the final, even the Hikaleo match, the the tanahashi match to to clinch the block like turning it up <laughs> repeatedly going for the stardust pressed and missing um telling that story of that but like that it's like 
all the people who said Naito are washed, all the people who said that he doesn't have it anymore, just completely shown to be out of lunch, out to lunch. Like even with getting knocked out, having this caliber of match here, um, just yeah, phenomenal stuff. The thing that's interesting to me though, is like one thing, cause you talked about the, the kind of the, the, the Rewa three musketeers, the new generation three musketeers um, was the, the final night, of block play for a block um, match between Rin Narita and Kaito Kiyomiya. And the feeling that I had in that match were like, they worked that match compared to everything else they did. They worked that match. Like it could have been the big final main event kind of vibe that they, that they kind of gave to it. And they really delivered there. And it just really, that kind of hit me and talked to me about the, the way that like new Japan is they're working on, they're talking about, they're building up young stars or all this and that, but you still have Naito in the main event, Naito in the final Naito winning it against Okada. Um, and it's just like, we're not quite there, but you can see them placing the pieces and it does make you make me kind of go like, okay, is this perfect? Is this good? Is this the way to do it? Don't rush anything. Don't, you know, push people too fast and and stick to it and build these people up because it always ends up delivering. Or should something like a Kaito Kiyomiya random reader, should that have been a semifinal or even final for the tournament? Because they worked it like it could have been and it delivered like it could have been, right? But you've got these big finals and everything else that you have after that, um, that everything really delivered. From the quarterfinals on, everything like super delivered. Even Naito and Hikoleo, which I think people are kind of downplaying and talking bad about. And I'm like, I don't know. Hikaleo is really, really good at his role comparatively to a lot of other people that have been in that same position as the giant monster. He's a much better worker than new Japan has had as a giant monster since like peak Lance Hoyt, which they really haven't even given him like Lance Archer when like they really didn't even present him as like a top level monster this way for a very long time in singles, especially, um, and since then, they haven't had a giant monster guy that was as good as Hikaleo. So it's just weird to me the way that people talk about him. But yeah, that was kind of like part of my big takeaway. You talked about Yodasuji. Um, <clears throat> I think I thought that they kind of blew the Yodasuji twin brother angle really early. But then I actually or I thought that until I like watched the match and the context and kind of like got caught up and saw that it made perfect sense in the context of the story that they told throughout the tournament with Gabe Kidd who you mentioned with the attacking pre-match and all of that stuff um, that it made it make perfect sense to use it here and you save it and bring it back again later. It'll be, it'll be new again eventually. But yeah, like I thought that it really made sense with like the long-term story that they built throughout the tournament there with that. Um, and the Gabe kid, like you talked about how he, he really delivered and kind of my, a little bit of my takeaway with Gabe kid there is like that between the promo that Alex Coughlin cut at the press conference and how he wrestled in the tournament. And then Gabe kid and the way that he wrestled in the tournament, like you've got something there between the two of them. It's that thing where like them being a tag team is kind of perfect. If they can use each other and figure out what the other guy is stronger at, because Alex Coughlin weirdly as a promo seems like, so much better at being unhinged crazy out of control and then Gabe Kidd is so much better at wrestling like he's unhinged crazy out of control so if you can like meld those two together I think we can have you actually really have something there um between those two so yeah like once we get get to that and yeah like as you as you talked about the the Osprey and Naito match really did speak to to something there because it was very like really fucking good okana and evil the other semi-final match i thought was was phenomenal as well like all the evil stuff and all the hustle torture stuff the whole point is to build up to something like this and all that build up and all that tension d delivers in the big moment here to where it's hard to argue like that, oh, it's so bad all the time that you have to put up with that stuff because when it pays off, it pays off big. So it just, 
and, and evil really does feel like at any moment they can switch this back over and he can go back to being a, a solid wrestler because before all of this, he was a good wrestler. And that's the thing that I think is really easy to forget is just how good he was before, you know, the house of torture stuff. And I just think you see something like this and you kind of go like, Oh yeah, like there is still something there. It's not like this is, he's just fucking always going to be flip the channel at some point they can switch this back and he can actually have something again. But, uh, but yeah, like this was the tournament overall from everything I watched and especially the finals and stuff like was really like really solid thought out smart booking and you deliver a really high quality setup and story for Naito. And I've kind of seen people comparing it to the Tanahashi kind of, you know, gold watch last legs broken down win, but doesn't quite it doesn't quite feel that level, but in some ways it does, as I talked about, like the older generation still being on top over the young generation. Um, I don't know. What are your kind of Quentin? What are your, your thoughts about that? Like about the booking? Cause you've watched most of this. Like, do you think that they're going too slow with the new guys? Or do you think that it like makes sense to still have the older guard on top and the new guys still bubbling underneath? I, I, I'm I'm fine with this because like I think that these guys are still good, at least in terms of like the Okada and Naito's like Tanahashi we see what's going on with Tanahashi at this point he's like almost becoming like like you know fully really going into that like Liger Tenzan Kojima type of phase which he can still be really good but like we see how much Tanahashi's like clearly been de-emphasized like when you see when you see something like Naito coming out for that final. And the amount of love and support that he still gets, as much as I am all all for trying to build these new guys, like there's still something there that you got to explore. Now, like the big thing is, is like using those guys to like build up the future stars. So like using Okada and Naito, uh, you know, I guess even Osprey, Osprey at this point, to be honest too, like using those guys to build up Shota Narita. Yoda Suji, all that, sh- all that shit. Like, that's like ultimately is the goal and what you had how you book in wrestling. But I think that there's still plenty there with these guys, especially in these big spots, because they might not be as great in like a G1 match to match, night to night capacity as they used to be. But, you know, and again, like, I like Yoda Suji and Sonata, which is a lot for me to see, for me to say about a Sonata match. And I've, liked what I've seen from Ren Narita and I think Shota is good, but like still has some identity things to figure out. Like they're not ready. They're not ready for that yet. Like at least I don't, I, at least I don't think, I think that there's enough swings and shit to go, to go, to go around that they've taken so far with those guys, like coming back and giving those guys title matches, I think has been enough without like going overboard with it. And I think that there's like still plenty of time to like milk that too. And with how Naito and Okada performed in the finals, like it's hard it's hard to argue against like returning to that for a G1 and heating Naito up in like the best way possible heading into Wrestle Kingdom. So I think that heading into 2024 is probably when you start to see like maybe one of those guys win the title or something. But I think that this fine that like we're not seeing like a big grandiose you're in the finals, you were in the semifinals type of push for them so far because I don't I don't think it's needed quite yet. I think I think they've done enough to build those guys up and like at least yeah. know that they're present. Yeah. I um I think I agree with you, especially with how this delivered here. Um yeah, sprinkling in the other guys and like and someone like evil who as i talked about is like probably looked down upon by a lot of people but is still i think in that upper echelon um and can be warmed up pretty instantly and at any moment you could flip the switch and go back to him being like someone who's actually respected as a worker um someone like zach who can still be thought of as like the you know the old the old guard um, when you really look at it, like the the quarterfinals and the finals, uh, the quarterfinals up through the finals, like 
you look at the young guard and it's like Finley and Hikaleo um, are kind of the youngest people there. And there's definitely a reason why they are there, especially like they're both, you know, they're foreigners. They're both not Japanese. You're kind of building up that. And, and that's a thing that I think that people, especially Western fans probably don't appreciate or understand that there is like a big difference when you talk about the investment that you can put into a Okada a Tanahashi and Okada and Naito where these guys, and I mean, shit, a Sonata and evil, like the, the Japanese talent are going to stick around. You expect them to stick around. Um, whereas like your foreign talent can, are more likely to leave. Like, even if you look at it and you think about like Osprey, uh, Saber, you know, like the reason why you put a, you kind of rocket sh- Draft those people more. The reason why New Japan pushes them to the top quicker is because they're going to cycle in and out faster. And the Japanese talent, you kind of expect them to stay long term, especially the ones that are from your dojo. So you like don't really need to rush as quickly to getting them to the top. Um, one other thought you mentioned it. I mentioned it. The the Rewa Three Musketeers. One thing I think is very interesting that I'm hearing and seeing people is that like they're kind of a Rorschach test. And I think if you're really being like more, um, I don't know how to put it, or at least I'm like just forgetting my words at the moment. If you're being a little bit more unbiased and you're kind of just looking at them without your personal opinion weighing it, I think you can see that they're all pretty evenly matched with just like different talents distributed in different ways um just quality wise as wrestlers i think Rennerita is probably in a lot of ways the weakest um and but the other two kind of are pretty evenly footed and Rennerita is not far behind but the reason why i say it's like a rorschach test is you can really tell people who are not as like unbiased and looking at it just like without letting their own opinion kind of shade things, pick someone and just say that they're obviously the best of the three. And I just think it's like really shows like Yoda Suji, obviously you talked about, he's got the charisma, he's big, you know, and he's got like, there's something there. Shota Amino is kind of like heartthrob, good looks, kind of stereotypical Tanahashi, babyface like that. And I just think like, depending on what your taste is between those two, and then obviously Ren Narita is supposed to be kind of the worker, the shy, subdued kind of Shibata. No, like, like, like yeah, a Shibata type. Shibata, yeah. Um, and when you like, when you look at that, it really depends on what your, like, what your taste is on who you prefer. And then a lot of people will be like, that's the one. And it's it's similar to the stuff I was talking about with punk, you know, the, the colliders versus the elitists or whatever. Like you pick your side and then now your side is the best. But if you really look at it, just unbiased, just without all that, like they are very evenly distributed talent wise. Um, and I don't know how you feel about that. Like, like, do you see that they are pretty solidly like they're all pretty solidly footed and just have like the different abilities or do you think that someone out of the three really does stand out oh no no i'm I'm with you there i think that they just all have different things about them that make them appealing to whoever and that just depends on your sensibilities like i think like i i want to like show to the best because i think that like he has like the most like you know uh like potential in terms of like carrying storylines as the as the, like the lead baby face of a company type of guy and like i do appreciate those type of people but like i think that there's still a, l- a little bit of work done and i think that he's still like very good but still just a couple of things to, a couple of things to figure out like if i'm looking to just throw on like hey i want a i want to put one of these guys in a good match randomly like i'm gonna pick red narita because i feel like his floor is the highest of if i just put red narita in this match like it's more than likely going to be very good. So I, I'm with you there. That really just depends on your sensibilities and that they're all sort of still kind of like jousting for position or whatever people want to say, but like there's use in room for all of these guys and they're all going to be extremely useful in their capacities. So like, sorry to disappoint anybody that would like us to uh, 
pick an island and stay there <laughs> yeah. in a choosing allegiance. But no, like I, I think that all those guys like have their own reasons for why they're getting chosen to like be guys that lead New Japan into the future. And like I, I hope they all succeed because I want New Japan to be good, and I like feeling good about New Japan. Like as much as I'll say, like Dragon Gate's my favorite company ever. Like I, New Japan during the 2010s was like right there with it in terms of like my enjoyment and like how much I cared about what was going on and it like really sucked to like watch what it went through through like the stuff with COVID and through its own booking decisions like it's a period that like sucked and like definitely did like change my enjoyment of wrestling because one of my favorite companies just wasn't producing the way that it used to and like to see stuff like I saw from the G1 kind of like reinvigorate that in me like means a lot so I want these guys to be good I want these guys to like all figure it out and be great and when Uamara comes back and shit like that like I want like I want I want it to all I want it all to work because you know there was a couple down years and you have like bright spots like this and it makes me want to see everything succeed so I'm 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 not going to pick a side with any of these guys. I think they all like have whatever their, uh, whatever their best traits are and they'll place them accordingly. Now who winds up getting like the biggest push when it's all said and done? I don't know. But like, I do think that all of these guys like kind of like compensate for where like the other ones lack. Yeah. And like I, you know, referenced and compared it to the AEW thing. And it is like the drama the drama, like in that, and like turning it into shoot and work and all that, is so obnoxious because when it works, it's like this, where it's more like, and this is a fun comparison, but it's more like a boy band, and that's why Dragon Gate. I think the Dragon Gate was kind of the original. Um, we talked about it earlier, but you know the Golden Lovers era, like DDT, where the, there was the idol promotion kind of side to things. Really get it, where it's like, it's like a boy band. It's like you've got you know, the heartthrob, you've got the the wild card and you've got the shy one, you know, and, and the fans are able to pick which one they want, but they're all on the same team. And that's the whole point. Like, even though wrestling is a, you know, a pseudo combat sport, that's a competition. Like at the end of the day, they're all part of this company. They're on the same team and you can support whichever one speaks to you, whichever one is your taste, but you're not like, you don't have to like, say well i hate the other ones because of it you know because they're all again on the same team and that's why it works out so perfectly to 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 promote it this way and this is business and it works really well because yeah like you know you've got the heartthrob in shoda you got the wild card in in the yoda suji and you've got the shy one in renarita and then you've also got the mix of their wrestling abilities and talents as you talked about there what they're better suited at all that stuff and uh it's just, again, this is like the whole fucking point. We're on the same team. And when you're on the same team, then you're able to like deliver and have this like orchestra of different performers. And and that was what carried Dragon Gate for so long. You re- you referenced that being like your favorite company. Like they, they got it. Like from the beginning, Dragon Gate got like, we're a boy band, right? They, they understood that and they were a boy band. And that's why Dragon Gate historically drew the best when it came to like women um, like having female fans. They did such a great job at having female fans because they were a boy band and that's what they presented. You know, and you could pick your your favorite one, but at the end of the day, you, you know, I just thought of the social dance wrestling. Either way, um, do you have any other thoughts or anything else you want to talk about before we head out? Uh no, I'm gonna I think I think that about covers it and probably won't review all in so we'll just come back and review stardom or action or whatever the fuck i don't know but we're probably not going to do all in so (laughs) yeah probably not we'll see unless someone unless someone reaches out and really wants to come on and talk about it with us but i don't think so so either way yeah sounds good but if if we're uh all good on that then you can follow me on twitter at qt underscore moody you can follow tim at roh dutch you can follow the podcast network at wdkwpn if you're feeling as so kind you could donate to us on coffee and I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like not, I, I know I said this before. Can we just get not, can we just not get Jericho and Osprey to happen? Is there a way to like pay off somebody to like, looking like Tanya Harding Jericho or some shit? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. 
But if there's a way in which we can get that act of terror to not happen, then I would really appreciate it. But thank you all for listening and hope you're here next time.